The reading today is from Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right. All right. Thank you, Chris. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you here this morning. Um, my name is Dave. I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Tucson. I uh, typically do uh, the majority of the preaching. And, um, and so just want to um, give you a heads up if you're new or you've never heard me preach before. I have a speech Im- impediment. That was just an example there for you, illustration. Um, but yeah, it just kind of comes in and out uh, as we go. So I just want to make sure that you guys know uh, what that is and have a heads up um, for it. And um, uh, we're going to get into it here pretty, pretty quickly. Um, so uh, if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn, uh, turn with me to the very first book in the Bible, Genesis um, uh, chapter 1. And so this is the very beginning, the very front cover. Sometimes we're in obscure books that are harder to find, like Habakkuk and different things. And I'll just say, um, while I have the chance, like, and pass the word on this, okay? There's never any shame in going to the little table of contents and looking for where the book is. You shouldn't have to this morning. It's right here, the very front. But um, never be ashamed of that, okay? So some of you might not even ask for a Bible because you're like, I don't know where that is. I don't want to look around. Um, We'll do it. It's good to have a Bible. So with that, um, if you don't have a Bible with you, hold your hand up high, and uh, somebody will get you one. Hold it up and keep it up, right? This isn't an auction. Keep it up high. And um, también si necesitas en español, tenemos um, solamente uh, levanta su mano y diga español. Um, we have Spanish Bibles, too, so we want to make sure everyone can have a Bible. And if you don't own a Bible, keep this one, please. It's our gift to you, okay? We want to make sure that you uh, have your own Bible, put your name in it, underline stuff. And um, while we're getting there, I'll just give a heads up on where we're headed. Um, we just ended a, uh, a four-week, nope, a two-month um, series in Judges. So we spent about eight weeks in Judges, and it was intense, right? So um, it was a really intense look at um, in the book of the Bible, Judges, and, and we learned basically that the hero is God, and we need him desperately. And so now for the next four weeks, though we typically go through a book of the Bible for four weeks, um, heading up to Easter, so as we lead up to Easter, um, we're, uh, we're going to do a series right now that's gospel-centered and outward-focused. And this is a phrase, something that we say, um, who we are. It was even said there at the very beginning. Andrew um, said, you know, we're gospel-centered and outward-focused. And so we're going to spend four weeks really understanding uh, what that means. And, and in a nutshell, it's this. It's that um, something is true of us, and then we live a certain way because of what is true of us. And then most specifically, um, through Christ, God declares things to be true of us, and then that naturally leads into how we live our lives. And so in a nutshell, gospel-centered, outward-focused. And so again, we're going to be spending four weeks talking about that. Today, we're talking about the image of God and what that means about us, about you, and then what that means about how we live our lives. 
What flows out of what is true of, of us? And then we'll be looking at adoption. So next week we're talking about ad adoption and then some outward focus opportunities and ways that we live our lives and caring for uh, the, the, the orphan and, the, and those who, who are in need. And then we're spending time talking about, um, about God's work of restoration. And then we're, we're looking at um, God's work of proclamation. And so that's where we'll be. And then that again leads up to Easter. So it's coming up. Uh, last year was our first Easter service in here. It was really fun. Uh, I just want to again give you an, an uh, encouragement. Invite your friends. Invite your neighbors. It's a great opportunity to come and to, uh, and to in invite friends and, and just to see God at work. Um, Alright, so with that, let me go ahead and pray as we uh, get into our, our, uh, our time this morning. Uh, Lord, we do thank you and we, uh, we declare that we need you. Um, we, uh, we trust that you speak to us through your word. Your own word says uh, that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. So, Lord, we, uh, we trust that that is true. And we ask, um, ask Holy Spirit that you would lead this time, that you would speak to us where we need to be spoken to, that we would be encouraged and exhorted, and uh, Lord, convicted and built up, and um, Lord, that, that who you are and who you say we are would, Lord, direct all of our lives. So, uh, again, we need you in this time, and we thank you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, um, just to kind of kick off our time here, I want to ask you the question of uh, what, why you're here and what your expectations are. Kind of where are you starting at, or really rather, where are you coming from this morning as we come to church, right, as we come together, as we come before God? Um, one man, uh, Michael Whitmer, says this, um, I think, as, a, as an encouragement for where we need to start from. He says, rather than starting at the end of the biblical story and asking, I'm saved, so what is the meaning of my Christian life? What if we started with creation and asked, I'm imago Dei, so what is the meaning of human life? Okay, so many of us come here with a lot of assumptions, and, and, and in fact, um, I think, and we, we talk a lot about this here, and we come kind of assuming a lot of things, and then by default, what we do is we say, um, God, how do you fit into my life? Like, this is where I'm at right now. Uh, how, do you, how do I fit, fit you into it? And if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, I again want to say really, really welcome. I'm really glad you're here. And um, maybe you're even feeling the weight of, this is a bunch of Christians asking how to be good people, how to live a Christian life, you know, how to be better, how to be Ned Flanders, you know, and, um, and I'm just kind of entering into this and kind of an outsider. Well, I, I think really where we need to all start is, is who is God and who does he say I am? Who does he say we are? So even before we enter into the conversation from a Christian perspective, we need to come into it from a, a human perspective. And so not just asking, you know, God, where do I put you and where I want you to be? Um, where, do, where do we start? Where, who is God and who are we? So let's just start at the very beginning. The very first verse in the Bible, too often we skip over to wherever we want to be and we don't start here. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. Is that four words? One, two, three, four. Perhaps the four most important words starting in any conversation we find ourselves in. Because our nature, our default, which we'll get into in a bit, is well, in the beginning, me. 
Like, I, I'm God. I, I'm going to make every assumption. I'm going I'm to lead from the throne, if you will, and I'm going to decide what I believe and how I interact with other people based on me. But the Bible starts with God, that the very first, the very beginning, the alpha, if you will, that's the first letter in the Greek alphabet. Perhaps you've heard God referred to as the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. Well, the alpha is where we need to begin. In the beginning, God Who is God? Well, he created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. In the beginning, God. So before we understand who we are, we have to start with who God is, because he's the one that tells us who we are and what life looks like in relationship with him and what it means to be human, because he's the one that created human. He's the one that created you. He's the one that created the person next to you. So who is God? Well, he's creator. And then picking up in verse 26, we can now begin to understand who who, who am I? Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Who who are you? Does, Does the first word that comes to mind, is it image? It should be. That's who God says says you are. You know, if I just asked you, if we kind of did a little hand-raising thing, who are you, what's, you know, we would probably start out with our jobs, we would probably, and if we dug in a little deeper, things that have happened to us, things, decisions we've made, perhaps, you know, uh, height, I don't usually start out with that one, but, you know, uh, hair color, ethnicity, family background, you know, whatever it might be, we would start out with those things. But the most important, the place we have to start is image, image bearer. And just to understand this, we don't, we don't operate in these, in these ways a whole lot in our, in our culture with image, but a Greco-Roman or even a Hebrew culture that would have first read this, they get image. Okay, we don't have a lot of, like, we have money, right? If, you, if you're doing really well, right, you got Benjamins, right? If you're ro- rolling in the Benjamins, you got, there's an image on that, right? It's a Benjamin Franklin. Some of you are like, oh, I never connected those dots. That's what it means, right? So you've got a $100 bill, it's got a Benjamin Franklin, $5 bill, Abraham Lincoln, I forget who, Andrew Jackson, is that on a 20? Um, right, work our way down. Maybe your Abraham Lincoln is copper, the copper kind, not the paper kind. But whatever it is, that bears an image. And, 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 and there's other information on those things that says that gives that particular thing value, right? In and of itself, it's just a piece of paper, right? But there it says, you know, the treasury of the United States. And, and, and so our money has value because of, of kind of what's behind it and who created it. Well, in these times, um, specifically in the Greco-Roman world, there would be um, I- images, like if you got a document and it had a seal on it, right, like dipped in wax and had a seal on it, it would have, the seal would have like a picture of the Roman Caesar. 
And that would mean that if someone opened up that mail that it wasn't intended for, or if somebody assaulted the person delivering that and that you held this, it meant that, that, that the power of whoever's image it bore was, uh, it was, was, was placed on that. And if you tore it up, if you threw it away, if you opened it and it wasn't yours, you would be punished because it would be like, like assaulting the very person whose image it's bearing. Okay, are, are you hearing me? Are you, are you following with that? So when we come back to this, you start with God in his grandeur. And we can grow numb to these things and just forget, right? We throw out the word God as a cuss word when we stub our toe whatever it is we you know we forget who we're talking about here well God is the beginning the creator the one who made all things okay that's an assumption we're making and that's and that's and that's the 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 message that the Bible's saying and God wanted to represent himself he wanted to make himself known and he created everything if you walk through this whole chapter it says right that he created light and said let there be light with his words Hey, that's, if, if we fail to understand who is God, just walk through these things. He said, um, and then he, he told the waters where to stop, right? I can't tell my kid when to stop, when they're about to run out in the street. God told water where to stop. Hey, this is, this is mighty God. And then as the cornerstone, the height of his creation, what did he do? He wanted to represent himself. He created you. He created you. He said, I want my image to be reflected in everything I've created. So he created man. He created woman in his image to bear and to represent who he is and what he's all about. In fact, in chapter 2 of Genesis, there's even a more intimate picture painted where where God um, comes down and he gets his hands dirty, not in the negative sense, but in a creative, artistic sense. He gets like clay and forms it and molds it and he makes man. And then he, he takes man and he breathes life into his nostrils. There's an intimacy there. There's maybe one human on this earth who could breathe into my nostrils. My wife. Like, right? You don't get, you know, we don't breathe in each other's nostrils. And yet God comes and he breathes life into his image bearers, his creation. He says, I want to make myself known. And he forms man, and then he puts man to sleep. He says, uh, it is not good that man is alone, so he put man to sleep. And then he forms Adam, he, he, or Eve, rather. He takes, he takes Adam's rib, and he forms Eve out of his rib. And then he presents the bride to the groom, and Adam sings a little song. And, uh, and it's a beautiful picture right? You're not at a wedding right now, but we could, right? We could do this. If you're engaged and you need to get married, maybe we could make this a service right here. End of the service will come up, but okay, you've heard this stuff talked about in a, in a, in a wedding context before, but what about how you see yourself? Worth and purpose. What's your identity? First and foremost, it's as an image bearer of God. And elsewhere in Psalm chapter 139, we're not going to turn there, but it's a, beautiful, it's a beautiful chapter. And let me say, guys, if you've never read Psalm 139, because you, if you Google Psalm 139, you probably find like hearts and flowers. It's been hijacked by women's ministry, right? It's no fault. Of, I'm not knocking women's ministry. It's not your fault or there. But like we need to take it back, okay? That's for all people. Um, Psalm 139 is, a, is an incredible picture of how God created people. And it says that he, he knew me in my mother's womb, um, before I even existed, he, 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 he knit me together. 
He knows the number of hairs on my heads. In, in my waking up, in my lying down, in my highest highs, in my lowest lows, God is there. There's an intimacy of God's creation. Okay, so when I ask you, how do you view yourself? It needs to first start with as an image bearer of God. And not just as a floating picture, right? Like, you're okay, now you're out there and God just kind of makes you and then sits back and is like, all right, go ahead. But in every facet of our lives, God's purpose is to be shown through how you live, right? We talk about the sacred-secular divide in here all the time, and this is what it means. It means that we think that there are, like, churchy things and churchy activities, like where we are and what we're doing right now, and then there are secular or non-spiritual or non-God events, But I challenge you to find, I challenge anybody to find where that is in Scripture. There's nothing that paints that because God created your identity and your purpose to reflect Him. Okay, simply who you are and what you do comes from God, and He cares deeply about it. Your work, Everything, your art, your, your joy, your pleasure, your relationships, every, every little thing about you is from God, right? He said, be stewards, not abusers, right? Some of us have heard these things and we think that, you know, God just gave it to us to go out and just kind of play with and do what we want. No, to reflect him and his good character. He said, go, multiply, have dominion, steward what I have given you, steward my creation as the, as the cornerstone of my creation, as the height of my creation. Now go and live and work in every way. So our identity and our purpose is from God. And guys, we need to get creative with this, okay? Um, we need to stop and think. If you're a doctor in here, is that in any way separated from your identity as a follower of Jesus, as an image bearer of God? Or do you understand that you are a healer, that you get to bring in life, that you get to help make new what has been broken? If you're an educator, is it separate? Like, man, Friday's coming, I can't wait. Like, I'm going and I know those days come, right? But do you understand your work as directly connected to your identity, as God wanting to reflect himself through his creation, his image bearers, and what they do? So do you see educating, teaching? Jesus was called a teacher, okay? You're in good company, the great teacher, rabbi. If you're a teacher, do you see yourself reflecting God in all that you do? If you work in custodial work, if you work in uh, some kind of, you know, recycling or, or uh, you know, um, g- garbage collection, do you see that as like, man, I just do this and it's not connected? Do you understand that Jesus says, I'm making all things new, I'm, I'm restoring what's been broken, that God's creation, a lot of what fills up chapters one and two of Genesis has been broken down because of sin and you're a part of restoring that, dealing with that helping to preserve the world and, and all, right? We could go on. I'm just, I'm just picking out as I look out at people. I'm kind of picking jobs here, right? So we could get creative with what we do, and we need to remind one another of this. And guys, right now, you, you might even be, like, failing to connect the dots. It might seem flowery, like, what happened to Dave, man? He's... He's gotten, yeah, it's his, it is my daughter's birthday, so I'm all about princesses and dresses right now and all these things, and you might just be like, what happened? He's talking poetry and all this stuff. That sounds flowery and unrelated to, to real life. Well, you know why? You know why that is? Because we've grown so numb 
to the presence of sin and brokenness in our world, that that stuff just seems far off and like flowery and distant. Image, come on. Identity, like God and, you know, number of hairs on our head. He, he just said womb in church. Come like, you know, knit together. What is that? And we fail to connect these dots because we have grown so complacent to sin. But guys, we can't do this. I don't want to ever assume that we get this stuff because sin is so easy. And what is sin? It's simple. We talked a lot about this last week. It's not God. And guys, understand that the world that we're living in, the way we see ourselves, the way we see our work, the way we see our relationship with, other, with one another has been affected and infected by simply choosing not God, that what we've just read is God said all human life, identity, purpose, flourishing, relationship, everything comes out of who I am and what I've declared it to be, the imago Dei, that's the Latin, the image of God. But Genesis chapter 3, right away we see not believing God. No thanks, God. I, I don't, I'm going to take my identity from that commercial, from that relationship, from uh, when I feel like I'm having a good hair day or a bad hair day or a no hair day, right? I'm, I'm going to base my identity on these things. And we've grown so complacent and just accepted that the world is supposed to be a bunch of distortions of the way God said it's supposed to be. Right, a distortion. Okay, do you do do you follow what that is? So think of a distorted image. If you've ever been to like a carnival, I always forget which is which. Circus, carnival, but you know the ones that have like wavy mirrors and different things like that, right? And and there are those mirrors, and that's a distortion of the image, right? So you see a wavy mirror, and all of a sudden you look like short and stocky. That's every mirror for me. But um, you know, and then this next mirror, you look like you know ten feet tall and a hundred pounds, and right, every different mirror, and it looks different, and that's. That's a distortion of the image. Well, because of sin, that's the world we live in. We look in the mirror, we see ourselves, it's distorted or broken. Then we look at someone else, another image bearer of God, and it's distorted and broken. And that that defines us. And we've grown so comfortable with that that we just kind of brush off the way it's supposed to be. Well, guys, what we need to do right here is we need to peel back that that comfort level that we find ourselves in and recognize it's not supposed to be that way. And so what I'm talking about with you, if you're here right now as an individual, is how do you see yourself? When you look in the mirror, when you, have, when you journal, when you talk with your friend, when you're having a good day or a really bad day, what defines you? Is it how other people interact with you? Is it things that have been said to you? What kind of identity have you taken on and just accepted? That's who I am. Hear me, you are an image bearer of God. There's incredible value and worth in who you are. So if there's anxiety, if there's depression, if there's looking for love in all the wrong places, if there's, um, you know, abusing other people to make self feel better, whatever it comes back to, I'm convinced that we need to go to the very beginning, say, who is God and who does he say I am? But because of sin, because of not God, we naturally don't get it. So we don't see ourselves as we ought to. But Jesus came to make new what has been broken. We're not going to turn there. We spent a whole sermon series in Colossians chapter 1. 
where we learn about Jesus, the firstborn of all creation. And that language doesn't mean that he was ever born. It means that he is the one through whom and for whom all things were made, that he is presiding over creation that we just read, that he is the very image of God and that he came to reconcile all things to himself so that your identity and your purpose can be made right through Jesus whose image and identity was so secure, yet he didn't just sit there from afar and say, guys, get it together, but he came in and entered into the mess. And he said, I'll take on the broken identity. So find yourself in me. So as I prepared for this morning, I I knew that some of us need to be really, really encouraged. And at the same time, guys, some of us need to be rebuked. we, We need to be convicted because everything I read so far, I want to challenge you. Read through those things now and think about someone who's hard to like. Maybe someone that you're afraid of. Maybe someone that that you don't get. Someone that you don't, that you don't, that's hard to respect. Some other culture, some other religion, some other place. And read through Psalm 139. Read through Genesis 1. They cease being image bearers of God. Guys, when we come here to church, when we get into these matters, I, I got to be abundantly clear here. This stuff is, um, this isn't extracurricular activity. Okay, talking about all of life stuff, there's no this social gospel and the real gospel. There's no, you know, religion and uh, other stuff. Okay, that doesn't exist. The Bible blows that up. Now, yes, yes, and yes. Okay, you hear, we are going to say the hard things, right? We talked about hell last week here. Okay, we don't just come and just talk about things that are going to be easy to believe. Okay, so we're going to get into the truth and, and what does God say is true. And at the same time, he cares about all things, right? We've used this language before that if, if what happened when sin came into the world is God's, God's creation, God's image bearers, God's children are bullied by sin, by our own choice and by nature, and we're getting bullied, and the bullies out there and took our lunch money and, and beat us up and made fun of us and gave us wedgies and did all the stuff, and then God just came and said, it's okay, baby, come here, and took us and just, you know, pats our back, and, and then just, that's, that's, the, that's the spiritual version that's like social gospel stuff doesn't matter because we think God's just about, no, but God's just about like, it's okay, right? You're, you're back, your soul is forgiven, your spirit, but God's the one who for and breathed life and created um, our bodies and, and all of life. So, so the picture is that Jesus shows up as the hero and he says, hey, I'm going to get the lunch money back. I'm going to get the shoes back. I'm going to get the identity back. I'm going to get everything back because it's mine. He's the hero and he doesn't let the bully win in every way. So when we come before these things, we need to ask, how is the image of God broken in our world today? Is it only by coming here and feeling spiritually connected and refreshed and then leaving here and never connecting the dots to the image of God that's been broken and distorted in every other facet of life? I think that's our tendency. I think we need to repent of that. I think we need to admit that that's really the way we want to go about it, that we want to keep God in a little box and and just make it all about me, 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 but what about him and her and, and them? All of life, if we're gospel-centered, if we get the good news of Jesus, it means that he defines us and he defines how we live our lives. And that's why 
Whenever we, we understand scripture, whenever we engage another human being, it, we're dealing with the image of God. And that's why we're going to say the hard things here that's going to make us all uncomfortable, guys, so that we understand that we look. That's why, that's why racism, sexism, ageism, the unborn and the dying, the elderly and the not yet born matter. Image bears of God. Racism is not an extracurricular activity that the church is just like, hey, let's talk about that at a coffee shop or, you know, on Facebook. All right, that, all right, let's just stick to the gospel. Are you kidding me? Do you, the good news of Jesus doesn't have anything to do with, with racism. As this isn't perhaps not very popular, but that's why we can't just sit here and stand by and not acknowledge things like Black Lives Matter and just kind of brush it aside and say, well, all lives matter. And I'm just going to preach the gospel here. And we're just going to read about the gospel. And what is it with Black Lives Matter? Maybe we need to slow down for a minute and, and ask some questions and say, yeah, we say all lives matter. That's assumed, right? That's, that's a given. But, but what's to this Black Lives Matter? Have our brothers and sisters and neighbors and image bearers of God experienced a life that with words has said your life matter, but in reality has said everything but that. Oh, it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to admit that we don't know what we don't know. It's uncomfortable to slow down for a minute and admit maybe we've gotten it wrong, even in the church, even in our own homes. And to look at other people and say, that's an image bearer of God. Other religions, other cultures, do we waver on the unchanging truth that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life? No one comes to the Father but through me. No, we don't go to the coexist bumper sticker. We don't go to all roads lead to heaven. The Bible doesn't say that. Jesus doesn't say that. But do we swing the pendulum to the other extreme and say, those people are no longer human. Those people are no longer image bearers of God just like me and my family? Do we slow down and interact with people and ask the hard questions and say the hard things and embrace the reality that the cross of Jesus is going to be offensive, but do we do it in such a way that respects someone else as God's creation and his image bearer? Or do we stand back because we're uncomfortable with ourselves? Who who you are absolutely relates with how you relate with everybody else. And my guess is when we want to stand back and throw grenades and throw posts and, 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 and say, you know, that's not comfortable for me, it's because we don't understand who we are and the security that we have in Jesus. That Jesus said, Father, forgive them. That God says he demonstrates his love for you. That what we're going to talk about next week, that God says, though you are enemies through Jesus, you're my children. Adopted, full heirs in all that is his. When you understand that, when you understand your own image, your own identity, you're more rightly equipped to relate with your neighbor.
Um, In Genesis chapter 4, right away, you see this distorted and broken. Cain and Abel, right? They're the first children born. And what happened? Okay, this is on display here. So what happens is Adam and Eve sin, okay? They pretty quickly say, no, God, we're not going to believe you and who you say we are and who you say we are to be and how we're supposed to live and how we're supposed to relate in marriage. We're going to be defined by everything else. We're going to replace you. We're going to hang you up on a hook. We're going to put you on a shelf, God. We're going to keep you in Sundays in a little two-hour block, and then we're going to go on, and we're going to, that's sin, And that came into the world, and then there was shame, and there was discomfort, and there was um, sin, and and all kinds of brokenness, and that's how how children came into the world in that reality, by nature. When we say by nature and by choice, it's because we're born naturally choosing not God. And so Adam and Eve had children. They had uh, Cain and Abel. And if you remember, Cain was born first, and um, like a lot of firstborns, they're jealous of the, the baby that gets all the favor. I'm the, I'm the baby, so um, I can say these things. And so Cain and Abel get into a fight, and I'm not going to get into all the details of it, and Cain kills Abel. Thankfully, that never happened in my home, hopefully none of our homes. But Cain kills Abel, and God goes and says, what have you done? And Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? Oh, Am I my brother's keeper? I don't need to hear about what that, what that means. I, I, I don't need to hear about that hashtag. I don't need to hear about that movement that's saying my, my brother has not been flourishing. Am I, it doesn't matter to me, right? That's, guys, this is so natural for us because it's so unnatural for who God created us to be. So Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? And then God basically tells him the consequences of his sin. In Genesis chapter 4, verse 12, he says, When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. Your work is going to be broken and distorted. And he says, You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Your sense of place and your relationship with other humans is going to be broken. And Cain, understanding what's going on here, says, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Guys, that's always been true. That is why the cross of Jesus is necessary. No number of quiet times, no church attendance, no anything is going to make up for for what we have done and the bed we have made for ourselves. And that's proclaimed from the very beginning of the Bible, setting up the desperate need we have for Jesus. He says, it's too much for me to bear. Behold, you have, drawn, you have driven me today away from the ground. My work is broken. My relationship with the world is broken. And from your face I shall be hidden. My relationship with God is going to be broken, so I'm not going to take my identity from him and who he is and who says I am. But I, it's broken. And then he says... I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Relationship with one another is broken. As when we don't get our identity and our purpose from who God is and who he says we're to be, everything in our lives is going to be broken. And that shows up in all the things I just talked about and how we view one another. Broken distorted, not the way it should be. And I want to recognize this is messy, hard stuff. Do I know what you should protest and what you shouldn't protest? 
do, do I know that when you see terrible atrocities done to people of color that are at an alarming rate, and then at the same time, perhaps in a reaction, you see that police officers are being targeted and, and hurt and abused. My own father, having been a police officer and members of our congregation working in those kinds of fields and, and also members in our congregation and people we love that are people of color. And, and so we, we, we hear Black Lives Matter and then as a reaction we hear Blue Lives Matter and then as maybe a cop out we see All Lives Matter. Do I know what to do with this? Do I know who you should vote for? Yes, yes I do. Come up afterward and talk to me and we'll get up. <laughs> no. No, and, and God doesn't, doesn't build a little box for himself that says, connect all these dots and it's easy and you no longer need me. You know what he did? Jesus said, I'll come and I'll live the life that you're supposed to live. I'll die the death that you deserve to die and I will raise from the dead to undo the problems that you could not undo by yourself. As Cain even said here, it's too much for us to bear. Jesus said, I'll take care of it. And then you know what he did? He said, peace, I'm going to see with my father. And then, and then why did he say good luck with this? No, he said, it's better that you go because I'm going to send a helper. I'm going to send the spirit. So at the end of this sermon, as you and I are asking, well, what do we do with this mess we find ourselves in where the way I, I see myself, the way I see my life, the way I see my neighbor, the way I see others is broken and distorted? What do we do? We call out to Jesus, we respond in confession and worship, and we lean on the spirit that he has sent to give us correction and rebuke and encouragement and direction and how we're to relate with one another. Guys, when we say we want to be a diverse church, it's not because that's cool or popular. It's not because it's a nice thing to say. It's because that division and its first expression is brokenness, is distortion. Because God said, I want to reflect myself in a people made up of individuals who reflect me. So our first action point leaving here is the Holy Spirit. Rely on the Holy Spirit. Okay, this is not, just here, this is not a church with a young, I use that in quotes, right? Some of you are like, you're young. A, uh, a younger church predominantly white, that says, we want to be diverse, so we're just going to keep doing what we're doing and hope for the best. No, it means that we're going to ask the hard questions. We're going to lay ourselves bare before God and say, God, who do you want us to be? Not just racially and ethnically, but socioeconomically, but generationally, right? That's another man. Young pastors are the worst here. I'm the front of the line of like, I've got it all figured out. We know how to do church now. And the 60-year-old guy who's been doing this for, you know, three decades, he, I don't have anything to learn from him. <laughs> Right? We've got to all come before and confess and repent and respond and depend on the good news of Jesus. And two very clear application points for us. First and foremost is always there. Rely on the Holy Spirit. Live in community that's going to constantly go before the cross of Jesus and say, what now? Where have we gotten it wrong and how do we need to be reoriented? How does our distortion need to become more clear? through the gospel of Jesus. Second action point. This week, tomorrow, an announcement that's been made is we have a peace feast. 
And we're going to do these more and more. We've been to an Ethiopian restaurant. This week, it's at an Indian restaurant. In weeks to come, it might be at a, an Iraqi or a Persian. That's an Iranian, predominantly Iranian restaurant. It might be at some places that are a little less comfortable for us. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Do we, do we eat with those people? Do we have anything to learn from them? Yes. Not wavering on the truth and the good news of Jesus, but coming alongside our neighbor fellow image bearers of God, saying, I want to learn from you, I want to eat with you, I want to get to know you, I want to have an opportunity to share with you. So this, this peace feast is directly connected. It's not just a fun little field trip because we like Indian food and things like that. It's an opportunity to get to know other image bearers of God. And then next, the application point is next Sunday, um, as has been said at the beginning here, um, we have a relationship. I go every month to a me- meeting. It's called the Pastors Partnership, and it was started by a man who just celebrated his 39th anniversary in ministry, Warren Anderson. He's a pastor here. He played basketball here at the U of A and then stayed in the 60s. Not an easy time to go into the pastorate in a you know, very largely um, smaller black population here in Tucson, and he has been committed. He has been grinding it out here in Tucson for a long time. Not quite as long as I've been alive, but pretty close. And uh, I get, he created this group and said, we've got a lot to learn from another. There's division, and the church should be the first people to, to really lead the charge in these things. So he created a group. It's the Pastors Partnership. And then he, um, he and a couple other people, as I've just gone and learned and got to know, they've said, hey, um, we, need to have the, we need to expand this conversation to our congregations. And I'll admit, I thought, man, is, is this going to be a cool movie? Is it an indie film? <laughs> you know? Can we smoke cigarettes and drink beer while we're watching this kind of movie, right? Hipsters, and is this going to be cool? I don't know. I don't know the environment that it's going to be in. I've seen the trailer for the movie, and I heard it explained. It sounds really good, and, but that's not the point, okay? The content is about racial reconciliation and all these things, but the point is this. People who have, people of God, brothers and sisters in Christ have said, hey, um, we've been marginalized and you've said we care about these things and you talk about diversity and you talk about God's plan for the church. So we're going to initiate a movie night and a bunch of our people are going to come and we're going to sit around tables, not to monologue, but to dialogue. This is an opportunity to show up and learn, to hear what's your story. Perhaps even to say this whole Black Lives Matter thing, I don't get it. It makes me kind of mad. Can you tell me why? It matters to you. And just listen and learn and create dialogue and build relationships and embrace the tension under the headship of Jesus. So guys, this is where the rubber meets the road. The application points are very clear here. So now, ultimately, as we respond in worship, as we respond to Jesus, we're responding individually, we're responding corporately with the good news that Jesus came to restore what it means to be truly human under his headship in relationship with him and our relationship with one another, for you, for me, for us, for them, as image bearers of God. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, we, uh, 
We continue to embrace the mess because um, you're in the business of cleaning up. Lord, we don't pretend to have it all figured out. Um, Thank you. I pray that those of us here who need to be encouraged this morning, Lord, that the first half of this sermon would not be lost, Lord, that many of us have believed lies about ourselves through our own choices and more often through things that have been done to us. Um, We have broken identities in how we see ourselves. We think that Psalm 139 is just a cutesy little poetic lie that doesn't really have anything to do with who we are and how we see ourselves how we present ourselves. Lord, the fact that you breathe life, that you formed us, that you made us, that our identity and our purpose is given by you. Lord, let that sink deeply into every one of our hearts. That if we're human, we have infinite value and worth because we bear your image. And if there's anyone here who has not put their faith in Jesus, Lord, I am confident that they understand the distortion of sin, that what it means to be a broken image bearer of God, living a life of definition by sin. Lord, I pray that the good news of Jesus would bring hope and healing and restoration and clarity, Lord, to living as a reconciled, redeemed, made new image bearer of God through faith in Jesus. And Lord, lastly, the second half of the sermon, Lord, where you've led us into really uncomfortable waters, perhaps more convicting waters, I confess on behalf of our church, we need you to lead us going forward. We need you to lead us into where we need to uh, confess and repent, to where we need to be changed, to where we need to uh, ask for forgiveness, Lord, to where we need to shut up and show up, to where we need to learn, or to where we need to fight for the good news of Jesus to make right what has been broken in all of life so that we may be gospel-centered and outward-focused as image-bearers of God in and through the name of Jesus. Amen.